The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life hosted by Kate Ebner of the Nebo Company. I'm Rachel Wold, Senior Consultant at Nebo and also the producer of this show, and I'll be guest hosting today's episode. To stay up to date on all the news from our show and other happenings at the Nebo Company, make sure to visit our website at nebocompany.com and subscribe to our newsletter. So a couple of months ago on the show, Kate and I spoke with Ann Hubert from Viacom Scratch about the millennial generation. Scratch has tons of valuable research and insight on how millennials are both at work and at play, and we had a really great conversation. However, most of what we heard was from the perspective of people born before 1980, meaning they're not millennials. So we decided to continue discussing the topic with a strong voice from within the generation. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, David D. Burstein, the author of the first broad book about the millennial generation that's actually written by a millennial. The book is called Fast Future, How the Millennial Generation is Shaping Our World. David is the founder and executive director of Generation 18, a nonpartisan young voter engagement organization and the maker of two documentaries on the same subject. He's a speaker and commentator on millennials and has appeared on CNN, CNN Fox News, MSNBC, in the New York Times, Boston Globe, Huffington Post, and many more news outlets. David's also a graduate of the NYU Gallatin School of Individual Study and the winner of a Do Something Award. David, thanks so much for being on the show with me today. My pleasure. Great. So, David, let's talk a little bit more about your background and also what led you to write your book, Fast Future. What made you want to become a storyteller for our generation? Well, you know, I had this experience in the 2008 election cycle uh, where I made a documentary called 1808 about getting young people to vote and the importance of the youth vote in the election cycle. And I made the film and then took the film all over the country on a big tour. We did over a 1,000 events between 2007 and 2008, if you complete that. Um, wow. And what happened was I was meeting all these amazing young people all over the country who were registering to vote. We registered over 25,000 new voters, and, you know, I was meeting people on these college campuses and in high schools and communities, and I was saying, wow, this is, this is really incredible. There are all these young people who want to be involved and be engaged. And at the same time, I was reading all these stories in newspapers and online and, you know, seeing things on TV saying how terrible this generation was. It was a generation of, you know, narcissistic people who were always bringing their parents to their job interviews and Mm -hmm. they were all thinking about, you know, money and materialism. And I said, well, that's not the 
generation I'm seeing. So I really thought that it was important to tell that story. I'm a big believer in the power of media and the power of narratives to actually advance reality. Uh, and one mm-hmm. of the things that I've always been very conscious of is, you know, in this particular age today, where information spreads so quickly, one might think that one story, one headline written in some publication is only reaching a small number of people. But in fact, an article that appears, uh, as recently did, on the cover of Time magazine calling this generation the me, me, me generation, mm-hmm. that magazine article may only directly be read by a couple hundred thousand people. But those many of those people are influencers who then go and share that information with other people and start to develop uh, a view of people in this generation that's reflected by what they read there, and then that spreads, and other people write things, and it sets off a chain reaction. So the narrative is incredibly important, and I thought it was really important to really set the record straight about who this generation was. So as part of how you see your work uh, sort of like setting our own narrative for our own generation in our voice and not letting older people do it for us? Yeah, I think that's important. I I think the best way to understand a generation uh, in its own time is to talk to people in their generation. You know, 30 years from now, we can go back, as people have done uh, recently with the baby boomer generation, and do a historical analysis and, you know, talk to people and reflect. That's the point of history. Uh, But if you want to understand what's actually happening right now, you really have to talk to people who are in the generation uh, and really base it on those experiences, because those are the people who we're actually uh, looking at and talking about. Great. So um, let's get more basic and start with the definition of millennials. Who are millennials? So there are 80 million people in this generation. It generally describes people who were born uh, in some way came of age around the time of the millennium. Uh, I define it as people who were born between 1980 and 1994. Uh, Now, Mm -hmm. some people have the definition going all the way to 2000. Uh, If you want to stretch the definition to 2000, you really have to sort of break it off around 93, 94 and divide it into older and younger millennials. The reason for that and this is what I think, frankly, is more important to define this generation than, you know, particularly what year they were born, two things. First is it's the first and only generation to come of age straddling the line between the digital and the pre-digital world. So Mm -hmm. people who were born in this generation, you know, in 1980, 1981, you know, and onward, we uh, didn't have the Internet when, you know, widely available to us. It existed, uh, but it was not part of our growing up. We didn't have email accounts. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have Facebook till we were in high school or college. Uh, mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff was really important because we were grounded in the physical world. We were grounded uh, in a world without technology, and then we became the earliest and most seamless adopters of all that technology. It's really a unique position that no other generation will ever be in that position uh, that we've been in, to have one foot 
so comfortably in the digital and the non-digital world. The second thing that's really important is this was a generation that was uh, came of age in a time, uh, particularly around 9/11 uh, and all that followed it. And incidentally, that's not just we're not just talking about people here in America, but millennials all over the world who had mm-hmm. similar events take place and the impact of which was reverberated all over. Uh, so coming of age in a world where we saw these big problems in our world uh, from you know 9/11 to the two wars in the Middle East and and mm-hmm. trying to see gee this is this is our world there's some problems here you know, what can we do about it so I think that's really one of the things that's driven this generation's desire to be positive social change agents and have uh, have social impact it was was 9/11 and sort of the experiences that came about after that a recognition that we live in a complex and troubled world mm-hmm. thank you and, you know you're starting to touch on one of the main arguments a little bit from your book, which is that millennials are pragmatic idealists. And um, this blend gives us a unique perspective from which we can tackle the many, the many problems of the world. And, and, you know, you might say that we're in the book, you sort of characterize us as the Goldilocks of the last couple of generations, you know, not too radical, not too practical, right. but, but just right. Can you say more about this? Yeah, so, you know, this idea of pragmatic idealism is really something that that I came upon when I was trying to think about how do you characterize the approach to social change that this generation has? Uh, and I was trying to figure out a word for it and came up with this idea of pragmatic idealism, which I thought was a good way to encapsulate uh, both the incredible idealism, this desire that people have in this generation to try and change the world and do big things and go for big, and our incredible sense of practicality and trying to accomplish things in a realistic way uh, as we go through them. So for a long time, people said, you know, right, if you, if you just convince everyone that you're right and your argument is the best and you're pure, everyone will get behind you. You can't compromise because that, you know, that, that impugns your integrity. And then people said, if you're, pragma- if you're a pragmatist, you're a compromiser, you're, you're disloyal to whatever you're fighting, fighting for. So this generation has grown up in an incredibly complex world where it's not that simple. It's not a choice between these two things. We live in a world where there are many, many players at the table, businesses, governments, uh, nonprofits, in any kind of problem we're trying to solve. So it's really an embrace of that reality. And embrace that there are lots of different institutions at the table. We have to work with all of them. Sometimes we work with uh, some of them more than others. Sometimes we build our own institutions. And that our world's problems are so complex that we have to, uh, we have, to have a comprehensive approach to figuring them out. We can't just, uh, just have a pure heart and hope that, hope that everything will turn out right in the end. Mm-hmm. And I so think, can frankly, you give some examples of this yeah, so, pragmatic so, idealism you know, practice? They're, they're all over, and I, I, should, I, should, I should emphasize this is not just when it comes to politics or, uh, or sort of social activism. This is, I think, mm-hmm. how people think about their life and, and major decisions. But I'll give you one example. You spent some time for the book uh, out in Wilmington, Ohio, which is uh, one of the places that was hit hardest in the economic crisis at one point, Employment in Wilmington was as high as 19%, uh, and they lost 7,500 jobs in one night when a DHL plant closed there. 
And these two guys, Mark Rembert and Taylor Stuckert, they had grown up in Wilmington. They had left uh, to go to college, and they came back, and they saw what was happening to their hometown, and they said, gosh, you know, we should do something about this. Now, what had happened in Wilmington was the result of a global economic crisis. They weren't economists. They couldn't, you know, figure out how to solve that big problem, but they saw something that they were passionate about. They loved their hometown. They were eager to try and do something about it. They wanted to fix something, help in some way, and they were, you know, leaders. They knew how to figure things out. They knew how to build things. So they created an organization called Energize Clinton County, and they started a fellows program to bring young people back to Wilmington to teach businesses about the skills of the new economy, social media and e-commerce. They created a, a marketplace for people in town to buy local products and educate them about the importance of buying local products and keeping money in the community. All these kind of things. And, and really, you know, helped to create jobs, helped to create, you know, an economic environment in the town, which has made a considerable difference. Now, you know, that's, that's a great example of this, which is saying, what is a piece of this problem that I can solve? What, what do I know? What are my skills? What are my abilities? How can I contribute to this in some way? And what am I passionate about? What do I care about? And how can I match those two things with my time and my desires, with what I want to do in my life? Uh, and that is, at its essence, pragmatic idealism, this idea that, you know, by choosing what kind of company you want to work at, by, you know, overwhelmingly, millennials say that they would happily work at a company that pays them less if they had greater social impact. That kind of calculation is, again, a kind of pragmatic idealism saying, you know, it's not just about money, and it's also uh, not just about trying to have this pure impact. It's about both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's a really powerful story. And, and I just want to say that your book is filled with stories like that. Um, you know, really taking stock of where you are, what you can do with what skills you have, even at this maybe young age uh, and moving forward from there. So, David, it's time for our first break, um, but we'll be back with more Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with our guest, David Burstein, in just a moment. Stay tuned. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you know how to use your network to succeed and achieve your goals? The right connection and knowing what to do with it makes all the difference. Whether you are trying to advance your career, motivate others, or handle difficult situations, Join me, Nancy Lamberton, to learn how to use empathy, trust, and reciprocity to create authentic and lasting connections. Designed especially for women, Nebo's four-part course, Building Vital Connections, starts this September. For more information and to sign up, visit store.nebocompany.com and click on online learning. That's store.nebocompany.com. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. 
With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Good morning and welcome back to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm Rachel Wold, guest hosting for Kate Ebner today. And my guest is David Burstein, millennial writer, speaker, filmmaker, and author of the book, Fast Future, How the Millennial Generation is Shaping Our World. Um, So David, I was hoping you could give us even more historical context. How did we get here in the terms of generational evolution? Can you walk us through the last maybe two generations before the millennials? Yeah, so, you know, generations are a funny thing. They are not uh, anything precise. They're constructs that we come up with to help us understand our world and what's happening. Uh, There's no meeting of the generation where everybody sits down and says, gee, what's our name going to be? You know, what's our cutoff year going to be? That would be convenient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would would be, right? It would make my job a lot easier. (laughs) Um, But there's not, and so we debate what, we call ourselves, some people call this generation millennials, some people call them Gen Y, some people call them uh, the I generation or the connected generation. Um, there are all sorts of names and terminology uh, for it. And, you know, whatever sticks, sticks. Uh, and the same will be true of, of other generations as well. Uh, it's actually, on a totally different side note, it's a kind of interesting process because there's really uh, – there's really nothing else that comes comes about like this. Um, so uh, one of the things that I find uh, really compelling about when you go back and look at this history is it really gives us a good proxy for what happened next. Every generation sort of leads into the next period of civilization and how other how other parts of our culture change. So if you go back to, uh, we can even go back as far as the the silent, uh, sorry, the greatest generation uh, who had. Who fought in World War II? Who sort of you know people who came of age, uh, or you know partially around the time of the Depression? People who you know are in many cases my uh, grandparents, grandparents of millennials, and they really came of age in a in a world in which every penny mattered, uh, where life was about making sure you had a good job and you had a secure job, a real sense of pride. People came back after the war, and there was this sense of you know, the American dream, the white picket fence, uh, this sort of ideal life in the suburbs. Uh, so that's something that uh, I thought, you know, really, we can get there in a second, but that really changes as we get towards the millennials. Then you go to the baby boomer generation, uh, which up until the millennials was the largest generation in history. 
coming, obviously, uh, uh, up during the 60s and a very tumultuous mm-hmm. decade. I talk a lot in the book about the difference and the contrast between the 60s and today and the similarities and the differences. Uh, that was very much a period of idealism uh, as opposed to pragmatism. There were some moments of pragmatic idealism, but a lot of a lot of idealism in that period and great struggles for civil rights and for uh, ending the war in Vietnam. And then we move on to generation X uh and what what sort of the, the you know there's a lot of I think uh, popular misconceptions about the generation as a bunch of uh, slackers and things like that, which I don't find to be particularly true. Um, but in in many in many generational analyses, uh, they're sort of a unfortunately forgotten generation. Uh, but I think they actually deserve a lot more uh, due and credit than than they receive. And, and frankly, it's a great example of you know how so it's millions of people, and and the narrative of generations is somehow dis miss them, uh, which I think is, is unfortunate and unfair. And then we get to the millennials. And I think what's interesting, if you look at each one of these generations, what happens is, you know, it's the, the 1960s and, and what young people did in the 1960s. Young people really, you know, made the 1960s what they were and what we know them to be. Were it not for the activism and the engagement of young people in that process, the story of the 1960s would be very different. Were it not for the civil rights movement, were it not for the war in Vietnam uh, and the impact that young people had on those on those issues, uh, the, the civil rights movement and that that whole time period would have been very different, and we would all be living in a very different world than today. Similarly, if you look at what's happening in this generation, the impact of the millennials is, is really to push all of us into the future. The, the digital world, the world in which technology governs so much of our lives and is a seamless part of, of everything we do, where we care about businesses and their social responsibility and their ethics and what they're doing and how they're, how they're using our resources, all of those things are really uh, things that millennials have pushed to the forefront and are going to become mainstream practices for the next 20 or 30 years. This kind of world in which change is fast and change is constant, as I write in the book, this idea of the fast future, where the line between the present and the future is increasingly blurred, where we look uh, at change and, and the future is something that is coming right at us, not something that's uh, years and years away. That's going to be the tone for the next 20 years, and this is a generation that really understands that better than anyone else. So it gives us a real leg up. So to understand the millennials is really to understand the future, uh, and to understand young people in general is to understand the future. So that's what I think it's really important to think about, it, not just as a generational question, but as a question of the future. Great. Uh, thank you for making those distinctions for us. That was really helpful. Um, I want to turn and look specifically at millennials and politics. Um, you've written several pieces, most recently during this month's government shutdown. That one was in Huffington Post, urging young people to take a greater role in the political leadership of this country. And however, you note that you know lots of millennials think that they can have a much greater impact by starting maybe a socially conscious business or through other ventures other than politics. So. My first question on this is, how do we persuade the right kind of millennial problem solvers, the right kind of millennial leaders to run for office today? Well, it, it's, it's a very uh, important thing because we have a, a, a deficit of leadership in our government mm-hmm. right now. Uh, it's, it's young people, it's old people, 
but we do not have a government that is capable of solving our biggest problems. It's not a question of Republicans or Democrats. This is about everyone. There was a poll the other day that said uh, that uh, that something like 45% of all Americans would happily replace everyone in Congress with a random group of people. You know, they just they don't even know their names. They would rather <laughs> a random group of people be serving in Congress than the people who are there. Not um, a great vote of confidence. Not a great vote of confidence at all. And I think that um, that's something that we should be very concerned about. Um, and we should be very, uh, very, very much thinking about how do we fix that. Young people have an incredible style of leadership. We're open, we're collaborative, uh, we want to think about things in new ways. So these are the perfect people to lead. And when you think about the impact that government can have, if a bunch of young people actually got together uh, and were part of a movement for political change, you could, you could change the course of, of all these problems. Young people are the natural people to help move us out of this broken process because of the kind of leadership we have, because of the kind of values we have. Uh, we need to get out of the business of promoting career politicians and think of politics as service and really bring young people into the system in, in a powerful way. And it has to happen collectively. If one young person runs, that doesn't solve the problem. It needs to happen as a collective action, a group of people standing up and saying, this is a movement, we're doing this together. And then when they go into Congress, they can really uh, represent a, a, a sizable block and have an outsized impact on, on how, things, how things happen. This generation has more at stake than anyone else. We're going to be around longer than anyone else, so anything that happens, we're going to be living with the consequences for longer than anyone else. So it's really important for this generation to have a seat at the table. Mm, really high stakes here. Thanks. So let's talk more about, um, you mentioned open, collaborative style of leadership. How do you think millennials conceive of leadership differently, and how would they demonstrate leadership differently than government officials of maybe the past or even the present day? So, you know, where the talent is in this generation, this is also a part of it, is um, Young is, is young people are going to start businesses and and nonprofits if they want to change the world if they want to have an impact right so you think about what do those organizations look like uh, and those are the kind of things we should model in government this idea of innovation being able to try new ideas and experiment uh, those are those are the kind of things it's very hard to do in government because people people are very stuck in their ways. So it almost is, is, is really essential to have an apolitical perspective. When you look at a, a problem from the perspective of, gee, how do, we, how do we make this, you know, how do we solve this as best we can, it, you get a different answer than if you look at it and say, what's the politically correct thing to do? So I think that's, that's where we need, to, we need to move to. Mm, thank you. Um, you know, David, I'm going to read a quote from your book, um, and in it, you mention a young man named Wael Gonim who spelt, helped spark the Egyptian revolution from two years ago by creating a Facebook group. And you quote him saying that, in his case, there's no concept of, I'm the leader, I'm the one who tells people what to do. In the next few years, we're going to experience a new wave of leadership, or what we call the hero, where the cause is actually the hero. So what he's highlighting is this 
amazing shift from the concept of individual heroic leadership to the collective we united around a cause. Do you see that happening among millennial leadership today, uh, connecting around a cause rather than a person? Absolutely. I think it's happening uh, It's happening in, in just about everything. I mean, you know, I, I write for Fast Company, and one of the things we always try and do at Fast Company is focus on the people behind uh, ideas and innovations as opposed to, gee, this is something that's happening. Because at its core... We're, we're humans and we respond to people. We respond to other people. And it really is, I think, the golden age of community right now. Uh, Robert Putnam wrote a book a couple years ago called Bowling Alone in which he argued that we had this terrible collapse of community all over America. People were not going to churches. They weren't going to bowling leagues and all this, all this stuff that had once been considered sort of the bedrock of communities. Mm-hmm. And while those things may still be true, what's happened is, is something really powerful, which is we've replaced those things with this incredibly uh, vast new global community where, you know, you don't need to be defined by the borders of your street or uh, wherever it is you live, but you can be part of communities around ideas. You can see a person somewhere and you can say, let's collaborate, let's work together, let's think about these things together. Um, and I think that wow. that's, that's really one of the things that's pushing this generation that direction. We want to uh, we want to go forward as a as a collective uh, group of people. So it really you know for any movement to succeed, if you look back through history, you have to have a person there. You have to have a person that people can connect to and relate to. It's not about technology. Technology facilitates connections between people. Uh, the technology in and of itself is not how things actually change. If you don't have good people, the technology is is useless. Got it. Thank you. Um, it's a really fascinating idea of a, a community of ideas rather than a geographic community. Uh, we're going to have to take another break right now, but when we return, let's look to the future and what that might be like when even more millennials are in positions of leadership. Uh, this is Rachel Wold, and you're listening to Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, Still, half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchofDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Do you know how to use your network to succeed and achieve your goals? The right connection and knowing what to do with it makes all the difference. Whether you are trying to advance your career, motivate others, or handle difficult situations, join me, Nancy Lamberton, to learn how to use empathy, trust, and reciprocity to create authentic and lasting connections. Designed especially for women, Nebo's four-part course, Building Vital Connections, starts this September. For more information and to sign up, visit store.nebocompany.com and click on Online Learning. 
That's store.nebocompany.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hello again, and thanks for listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm Rachel Wold, in for Kate Ebner today, and my guest is a very accomplished young member of the millennial generation. At only 25 years old, David Bernstein is a regular contributor at Fast Company, and he also consults for organizations looking to better engage with millennials. So David, as you know, our show is called Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life. So we want to know, what's your vision of the future? Can you describe for us what the future will be like led by even more millennials? So, you know, it's, I think it's a bright one is the first and most important thing. Uh, I think that this is really a generation uh, that has a, has a vision for the future. You know, this idea of living a meaningful, inclusive, happy life uh, might seem like, oh, sure, that's obvious, but it's really something that's quite radical. We haven't thought of it that way before. People haven't been primarily motivated uh, by trying to live these kind of happy, fulfilling lives. And I think today this generation is really driving that. And as that happens, that's going to push everyone in that direction. So I think the the vision here is really for a, a life in which everybody in this generation can leave and say, you know what, I did everything I could and everything I, I wanted to to try and make this world a better place uh, while I was here. And I think that can only lead to very good things. Great. Uh, You know, that is a really big shift. Of course, we we imagine that throughout history people have, you know, pursued happiness. But that really hasn't been the case. And we're seeing today lots of studies about happiness, books written about happiness. um, So that really is one of the key focuses of our generation. Um, So, David, where do you see your role in this, you know, bright future? Where do you see yourself maybe 25 years down the road? Well, I try not to think about that too much. Uh, <laughs> you know, I hope that I'll be doing what I'm doing and telling stories in one way or another, I'm sure, uh, because of, at its core, storytellers is, uh, is, is, is sort of how we move things forward. If we don't tell good stories, uh, we don't achieve success. I really can't emphasize that enough and how, and how important that is. Great. Thank you. Um, so what is the opportunity for our generation? You know, we're smart, we have access to technology, we have this collaborative, open style of leadership, um, we have the whole world of knowledge and ideas at our fingertips through the internet. Where can we go with that? I'm, what I'm asking is, what will it take for us, what do we need to do to step up to the plate and really make this bright future happen? Well, I think we're already doing it, and we see it every day from young people who are starting businesses, whether they're uh, Facebook or the company that none of us have heard of yet but just started Mm -hmm. this morning, or whether it's uh, going to Nepal to build an orphanage or 
staying in our backyard and volunteering. I mean, all these things, we're, we're living in the most empowered time that we've ever seen for young people who want to create change. You don't need to ask anyone's permission. Uh, you don't need incredible amounts of money to, to have an impact. Uh, and I think that's really something that this generation is taking to heart. You, we've never had more young people who are starting companies, starting organizations, and being successful at it than, than we do today. So it's a really incredibly empowering time for young people, and, and they're stepping up to the plate in every regard. But I can't emphasize enough how important it is that we really step up to the plate when it comes to running for political office. Because uh, all this work is is incredibly valuable, incredibly important. But at the end of the day, if we don't have young people who are serving in political office, we're not going to have uh, the kind of change and kind of problem solving that we need. So let's look at the nuts and bolts of getting more millennial leaders, you know, into political You, as I mentioned earlier, you're the founder, executive director of Generation 18, and you've made two documentaries that you used as tools to go around and register young people to vote. Um, what other kinds of actions are going to be needed to sort of rebrand, you know, being a politician and get people in there? Well, I think it needs to become something that people understand as a way to make change. I think right now, you know, right now 35% of young people believe that running for office is an honorable thing to do. And 40% of people uh, surveyed right in the aftermath of the uh, of the election of the 2012 election who were in this generation said that either way it wouldn't make a difference who won the election because the system was too broken as it was. Hmm. Uh, so I think those those numbers are a real wake-up call to the size of the problem. So first of all, we have to start changing the way people perceive uh, perceive this. People have to perceive uh, people have to perceive politics as something that is valuable. So that's a cultural challenge. Uh, and then from there, you know, there has to be an organization and infrastructure to actually go out and recruit these people and 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 support them in the process because they're unconventional people. They need unconventional staff and unconventional politicians and, and people to help them uh, help them make it happen. So we can't just you know say, okay, great, let's encourage some people to do this. We have to build an ecosystem around them. We have to find fu- new kinds of funders and people who want to support politics uh, who come at it not thinking about uh, gee, what's in it for me? How can I, how can I get something out of this? What can I utilize these people for? But people who genuinely believe in in bringing this to bear and, and making a better political future. So, th- those are the the very you know beginning steps. Uh, but there are people out there who will who are terrific candidates, and they're very they're very possible to get if someone really goes out and lobbies them and convinces them to do it. Great. So it's not just the perception of politics that has to change among millennials, but it's really the whole political machine and environment that needs to change, too. Thank you. Um, You know, I want to go back to something you said in the very first segment and address some of the maybe negative popular perceptions about millennials. You know, in the past couple of years, as I'm sure you've noticed, the term millennial has become a huge buzzword in the media. And, you know, the coverage has been at some times pretty unfavorable. You mentioned it in the first segment. We're entitled, we're addicted to technology and social media. We don't know how to have um, relationships in real life. We're narcissistic. The list goes, you know, on and on. So this is pretty discouraging view that many 
older generations take. Um, why do you think these criticisms are out there? And what do you have to say, um, maybe even bringing in some of the consulting work you do, what do you say to older people who have this negative view and how do you turn their, their minds around? Well, first of all, it has to start from a place of understanding. We, mm-hmm. we can't have this conflict between generations. It's not healthy. It doesn't help anyone. Uh, so I, I'm very opposed to any kind of generational warfare or generational opposition. Uh, so that's the first thing I'll say. Which, of uh, course, think, is an easy way to get clicks in the media is by painting a conflict. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of the problems that we see in a lot of workplaces uh, are a result of that, which is you know tensions that maybe no one in the workplace has ever done anything to merit that, but those people have read articles and they feel that it's lingering there before the surface. So I think companies in particular, where a lot of this is, is, is happening, need to have open conversations about the fact that there are, yes, people of different uh, generations working uh, in, the work, in the office, and you should embrace that, and people should uh, understand that. So I think that um, that's, that's one thing that I think is really important, that, that companies play a big role in this. And, and there's no, it's, it's a win-win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, it, it actually helps your, uh, your business to have people who are more productive, who you know, are working better together. Um, so that's something I really think uh, we should we should be we should be we should be doing more. Um, the other thing that I'll say is um, uh, the other thing I'll say is I think that we need to have a understanding of where people in the generation are actually coming from. The fact that I'm walking around on my phone to someone of another generation, you probably had this experience, right? You're sitting there on your phone in a meeting and you have to tell everyone, no, 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 I'm really taking notes, right? Mm-hmm. And the genesis of that is that the assumption by older people is that if you're sitting there on your phone, you must not be doing anything uh, too important. Uh, and I think that that is a very unhealthy notion to think that somehow because something takes place on a phone, it's lesser or it's other. Um, and I think that's a big difference for, for people in this generation. The phone is part of reality. It's not an alternative reality. It's part of our, our reality. So I think we, uh, we really have to make sure that we're, we're, we're being conscious of that. Uh, we have to make sure that we're, at, you know, as opposed to parents saying to their kids, take your phone away from the dinner table. Parents should ask their children what it is they're doing on their phone. Who are they talking to? Because they might be talking to a friend who's in crisis. They might be talking to someone who really needs their help. Um, so, so we really have to look at all these things and, and just be understanding of each other. And understanding that just because someone's on a phone doesn't mean they're not present, doesn't, doesn't mean they're not doing important things. And just because, you know, someone is, is older doesn't mean they understand all these things or should just accept whatever it is that, that a younger person does. Great. So um, great message out there. Just because you're on your phone doesn't mean that it's casual or social or that you're not clued in to what's going on around you. And I'm also hearing you say that what's really important um, in allowing the two generations to work and live together um, is finding common ground and 
coming at it from a place of mutual understanding and goodwill. Thank you. Um, we're actually headed in to our final break right now, David, um, but I am really enjoying the conversation today with my guest, David Burstein. My name is Rachel Wold, in for Kate Ebner, and we'll be right back with Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. Thanks. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit marchofdimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with our guest, David Burstein. I'm Rachel Wold, guest hosting for Kate Ebner today. Uh, David, thank you so much for sharing your really deep insight and knowledge into the millennial generation with us. Um, I want to lay out a situation for you and ask your advice. Say a young millennial maybe. He or she is 18 or 20, 25 even. They read your book, and they feel inspired by reading about all the great things their peers have done, but they're not really sure how to harness all of the advantages about their generation and go out there and make a difference. What advice do you have for millennials looking to find their purpose in the world? It's really a great time for for young people to find purpose and find meaning and to actually turn that into action. Uh, So I I encourage everyone to think about what is it that you care most about in the world? What is it that matters to you more than anything else? And how can you do something about that? Think about what you're good at. Think about what you know. Think about what you like. And try and channel that into action because it's really never been easier. The barriers have never been lower for you to do that. Uh, it's never been easier for an ordinary person to become extraordinary. So embrace that and think every day about, you know, is there something that you want to do? It's okay if you don't have the answer right now. There should be no pressure 
to do that. But think in every, in every way, you know, is there something that I'm really good at? What is it I like and how can I contribute? Because I really think, you know, our problems are only going to be solved if all of us are, are, are thinking that way and doing it. Thank you. So that action piece is what's really important. You know, maybe some people can figure out, oh, I like, um, I like the environment or I like photography or, you know, I love working with young people, but it's really the turning your passion Encouraging young people to think about. Thank you. Yeah, and um, also, also, can I can just add one other thing to that? Sure. Because I think that you know it's it's always been for I think a lot of people this very daunting idea. Oh my God, you know how I don't have time to do all these things, change the world, you know, blah blah blah. <laughs> but I also think it's at this particular moment it's never been easier to fit that into the rest of your life so that you don't have to devote every waking hour to you know saving. The, the planet, uh, you can incorporate it into your life, whether that means you're going to volunteer or whether it is as simple as you're just going to commit to buy your clothing from companies that source their products more responsibly. Little things, small actions have a big impact, and particularly today, those things are really felt. So don't think of it as this daunting task that you have to devote all this time to. It can be easily incorporated and woven into the rest of your life. Great. Thank you. So yeah, it doesn't have to be a full-time occupation. It could just be something small that you do once a day or a couple times a week. Right. Um, David, so I'm curious, who are some of the people from our millennial generation that personally inspire you? You know, it's, it's really the people I have the incredible opportunity to meet every day when I go around and speak and, and, and meet people. You know, there are Lots of great people, people I mentioned like Mark and Taylor who run organizations and people who build businesses. And But it's really the people in this generation who who I meet, get a chance to meet and talk to who continue to inspire me and excite what I do because, you know, it's, it's, it's always heartening to meet people who exemplify everything that we're talking about and to, you know, I, I have obviously written about this and, and, and met many, many people and spoken to many, many people in the research process, but then you go out and you actually have a continual process of seeing that this is, this is still true and it's still continuing to be true, and that gives me a lot of hope. And a lot of a lot of energy and excitement, and to see the way that you know people who are starting businesses are thinking about how to incorporate social responsibility into them, to see the young people who are you know leaving everything behind, leaving lots of great opportunities and comfort uh, behind on the uh, on the on the table uh, to to go out and actually make big change, it's it's really remarkable. Thank you. Um, so I have to ask, looking even further into the future, do you have any predictions for the next generation? You know, those young children today who were born after 2001, um, what might we eventually call their generation? You know, they're not millennials. Who are they? And what do you think they'll be like? And what will be some of the important issues they'll work towards? Sorry, can you, sorry, I didn't, couldn't quite hear that. Can you repeat that again? Sure. I was wondering if you have any predictions for the generation that comes after us, you know, they're as yet unnamed, but what might be important to the kids who were born after 2001? Well, I would tell you this. I, I have tried to make it a practice of 
not commenting too much on people of other <laughs> generations because I was I've been very critical of people who are not in my generation making pronouncements and predictions about my generation. Um, but I will say one thing, which is I think that you know the world that they are going to live in uh, is going to be even more different than the world we are living in right now. So what that is going to look like, uh, it, it will continue to evolve, and I'm going to let some amazing young person in Generation Z uh, come on this show in a few years and talk about it with you, and I hope you'll have them on to do that. Great. Um, we hope that you send them our way, and I, I admire that you're following your principles there. Um, so, David, what's next for you in the next year or so? You know, Do you want to continue to be our Generation's biographer? What projects do you have coming up? I'm spending a lot of time right now working on the political uh, side of things and trying to figure out how we get more young people in politics. So I'll be doing a lot more on that uh, in the in the months and years to come. Great. Thank you. And how can our listeners today stay updated on what you're working on? Yeah, so you can go to my website, davidburstein.com, uh, B-U-R-S-T-E-I-N, davidburstein.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at David Burstein, and the book is Fast Future. You can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, your local independent bookstore, everywhere books are sold. Uh, it's called Fast Future, How the Millennial Generation is Shaping Our World, and uh, read it and let me know what you think. Tweet me on Twitter, and I'll, uh, I'll, get, I'll, I'll get back to you. Great. Thank you. So just once again, that was davidburstein.com, B-U-R-S-T-E-I-N, and make sure you check out his book, Fast Future, How the Millennial Generation is Shaping Our World. Uh, David, thanks for being with me today. Thanks for painting this fascinating picture of the generation we're both a part of. You know, it's really made me excited, actually, to be young and in the world today. Um, And especially, we'll be looking out for how you make waves in the field of young people in politics. Um, So thank you for being with me. Um, Thank you for listening. This has been Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life. I'm Rachel Wold. Thank you. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.